Welcome to Avatar with Academics. My name is Sam Mulberry, and I have never watched Avatar The Last Airbender. And I'm Annie Berglund, and I have watched it before. Annie, we're back from break. I'm ass- we're recording this in late April, but I'm assuming this is coming out in happy June to people. I think I, I'm thinking I'm thinking I'm thinking we're going to build a. Our, so let, let's just be let's just be upfront about this. Um, our goal is to build a, a sort of stockpile of episodes because what I would love is once we start dropping episodes for season three that we don't take a week off. So, but I know this summer we're both going to have weeks where we can't record. So I want to get out ahead of this a little bit. Um, so this, so it is, uh, it is April 23rd when we're recording this, but I think this will come out at the beginning of June is, is my, uh, is yes. my thought. I cannot believe that we have made it to season three. Uh, so it's book three fire chapter one, the awakening. Yes. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm so excited because I like, now we're seeing the show kind of start to turn towards home a little bit. Mm. Um, and I, and, and it was interesting as I was going through, through the notes for this and kind of writing observations. Um, I'm, I'm reminded of what it felt like to watch the avatar state, which is season two, episode one, and even watching the first probably two episodes of season one, where, there's a lot of table setting. There's a lot of kind of, okay. Um, oh, there's a little bit of a time jump and there's a little bit of a uh, let's reorient you. And then it, so I have less like observations about things that have happened and more. Okay. Now that we've sort of pointed the ship in a particular direction, I feel like this episode is really about kind of turning the ship to say, now here's where we're headed. Now I have lots of questions about where we're headed is, is, yes. is what I think this episode raises for me. Also, it's on a literal ship. <laughs> yes. And I feel like the, the cast themselves are kind of asking a lot of those same questions, like the, the characters themselves. It's also interesting to think about how, I mean, you were talking about how the series began, and it began on a ship, too. Like, it began, mm-hmm. I mean, not a ship, but I guess a boat in, mm-hmm. the, um, in the Water Tribe. And it feels almost as uncertain. Even though we've gone through so much together, it seems like um there's plans in place but the whole of season three it's like i don't i don't have any idea where it's going right and i I, felt yes and i and i felt uh that there were definitely echoes of the beginning of the show there's Mm there's scenes where it's like oh i feel like we've been here before but now i mean this is this is good storytelling right now we've cycled back but these characters have changed Yep. Um, and we see some actual physical changes in, in some of the characters, right? These characters have changed and, um, and we've changed as we've gone through it. Uh, Cause the other thing is I feel like this is a sign that like the show has grown up a little bit. I'm guessing the folks who watch the show have grown up a little bit over the two years. So um, one of the, my, here, here's my biggest observation and then we should just dive into the episode. But um, if, if folks were to go back to, I don't know if it's like episode 23, three or 24 or 25 of this podcast, we watched the M night Shyamalan last airbender movie, which is grim and dark. And it like pulls out all of the humor of the show. Now, what's interesting is if you look at just this episode, it has some humor moments, but not much. This is a pretty heavy episode dealing with lots of exposition, which is a problem that the movie has, um, that it is a fairly like, like, dark the, the, the this there's a lot of darkness and a lot of like 
big character struggling with these big issues, but it's, but this is a sign where I feel like, well, this show has earned it. I mean, this is the 41st episode of this show where the movie was like, Nope, here it is just right. in like, like we're just going to do that part. It hasn't earned any of where we're at. Um, so this actually doesn't, it's almost like in the last airbender movie, what he did was watch just season three or just this episode and was like, that's the tone I want. And it's like, no, no, no. Like the reason we can have something that feels like this is because we've had 40 episodes leading up to it that have all that, that we've, that we've grown to this moment. This is, this feels dark, but very earned darkness. That's super interesting that you mentioned that Sam, because some of my notes were around the masculinity of this episode that it is really a male-driven episode. Um, more so, I think, than... I mean, we know that Aang and Zuko are kind of the two main characters, truly, like, the where the action is driven is between those two. Uh, but for some reason, this episode, to me, just felt hyper-masculine. I actually wrote in my notes, this episode is about dads. <laughs> mm, well, it is. <laughs> straight up about dads and how dads respond to their children's children. And we see two pretty opposite examples of that. Um, but it's interesting to... Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like that's just... That kind of builds upon what you were you were saying about how how this episode feels, especially um, in something that it's earned, right? Because I think from the first episode, they really have tried to make it an ep- or a series that is willing to have people talk from a variety of backgrounds and experiences. Uh, it, it started out very much Katara's story, but, um, but this episode finally, three seasons in, feels like it's male-centric, and it didn't bother me too much, but it was something that I did note. But if this was like it, so to, to go ahead, if this was episode one and it had this tone, I think the show would not have the magic that it has. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Because there are there are a couple jokes in this episode, um, and they're just they sort of remind you of like what the show can also do, but they but it but it's not heavy. And I will say I have seen the second episode of this season as well, and it's a John O'Brien episode and it is good to know like, Oh, this show's still going to have fun though. Like, like <laughs> the, 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 the second episode of this season pivots in a different direction. So, mm-hmm. uh, so let's, let's just jump into the summary, uh, d- d- dive in here. So the show, the episode opens and we see a bandaged Ang waking up in bed. Now if we remember the last time that we saw Ang, he was, uh, basically dead and just at the beginnings of, coming back from the dead. I mean, Katara is doing kind of her healing powers on Aang. Um, So things that we notice about Aang, he has short black hair from which his arrow tattoo protrudes like onto his forehead. So um, my daughter does not love the, uh, we're calling it the harrow, right? The, the hair with the arrow. Uh, It's, it's basically like pick a look. Oh, she doesn't like it. Cause I like it. I'm like that boy could pull off hair or no hair. I was a no, fan. But but she she doesn't mind the hair. It's the hair and the arrow. It's like oh. if if you if the arrow wasn't there, it's like, yeah, that looks fine, but there's something about both of those you know, together. If you're going to have a head tattoo, why grow hair over it? Like you already did the process of putting a tattoo on your head. I get that. I get that. Uh, yeah. Um now I also love how this show uses hair as a way to mark the passage of time because it is the first indication that oh, we definitely have a have a time jump. Um, because now Aang has hair. It also makes me love the little scene at the beginning of Tales of Ba Sing Se where we see Aang shaving his head. 
Yes. Remember everybody's in their like pregame kind of a moment and we see Aang shaving his head because it is an indication that he could grow hair. And now we see that he has grown hair. Yes. And I remember you saying like, oh, I didn't think about how he would have to do that. And that's totally, I mean, they obviously like set that up a couple episodes before so that it's not just out of nowhere. It's so genius that they did yeah. that in such a small way. And it took, it took all of 15 seconds of screen yes. time in an earlier episode to establish oh. that. It's also, I really like this point too, to talk about physical appearance, because I remember the first time I watched this through with my husband um, he was, we were watching and maybe like halfway through season three. So keep this in mind as you're watching, but he was like, they look physically older. Like each of the characters looks like they are weathered. And it's just like these small things, these small changes in their faces, maybe making them a little bit thinner, maybe making them a little bit taller, but the animators are really good. Like the drawers are <laughs> amazing at showing you how much, Aang and the Aang gang have like aged over the three seasons. Well, it's funny you say that because I had the exact same thought, even even within this episode, um, as I, I rewatched it last night, that there were like, yeah, the characters, they look a little different. They look a little older. Part of that is they're expanding their hair options a little bit. I really do think that that, that the fact that yes. if you think about most animated shows don't actually deal with they don't try to change the physical appearance of their characters, even their hair very much. But here it is. It does sort of mark the change of time in the way it would uh, it would in real life. I also, it's interesting to think the ages of all of these characters, every one of them is in, uh, is, is sort of going through puberty basically, right? Like I notice even in this episode, because you see a lot of like shirtless Aang and, and stuff and you're like, oh, like he looks like some, like a kid who, is starting to physically develop a little bit more. He looks a little yeah. bit more like ropey and muscular. I mean, he always looked a little bit like that, but it looks more so than if you think about like in the water bending scroll when they're swimming, you know, yes. or in uh, at Kiyoshi when they're swimming, he, he looks more like a, like a boy and he looks now he looks more like he's becoming a man. Absolutely. It's also uh, another point that I noticed kind of midway through the episode, we have a scene with Azula and she is in bed and she gets up to talk to Zuko and her face doesn't have any makeup on it. And the like animators could have easily just made her look like she always does. But I felt like it was a really good call to make it a little bit more realistic and say, she just woke up from bed. She doesn't have makeup. And it's like this like, nude face Azula that uh, and yet she is still just as terrifying as she is at any other time I really like how how consistent they are and how realistic they are with how they portray that um these individuals like over time I think it's super cool well I'm I'm glad you brought that up too um because I'll I'll say as a guy I was like huh something looks different about her but I couldn't place it <laughs> now I want to go back and look at that because because I did I had that exact thought of like she looks she looks different and she looks like she's sleeping and I couldn't yeah. figure out why and that's why that yeah. is that is really really interesting girl has <laughs> some good like bedtime routine taking off the makeup putting on some moisturizer yep yep yeah she's yeah all set. <laughs> well Andy we are we are about five seconds into our summary and we've talked for 10 minutes. So we're <laughs> okay. doing, we're we doing great here. We're doing great. Um, so, so Aang wakes up and he is uh, confused where he is 
then he realizes that he's on a fire Navy ship. He sees the flags and the banners with the insignia. Uh, and we see him panic and rush towards the door. You know, you can only assume he's alone. So you can only assume he's captured. Now, what this made me think of, if we're thinking of echoes from previous seasons, right? We've seen him captured in a fire Navy vessel before in mm-hmm. um, the avatar returns uh, season one, episode two, we see, it's like it's like we've seen this whole setting before because all the fire navy ships are kind of the same so it feels like that and even as we see him kind of rushing through the the bowels of the ship it looks like that again so we see him peek out the door and he hobbles down the hall and he's using his staff for balance because we have to remember he's he's bandaged this is still he's still sort of uh bearing the weight of the the injuries from the the battle with the zula um and he hears a voice say You hear something and he sees two figures in fire nation dress. One is huge and one is very small and Aang runs and they pursue him. Uh, We see him struggling as he's trying to move and he gets to the deck of the ship and it's nighttime. And then all of a sudden he sees Momo sitting uh, with more fire Navy soldiers and Momo rushes to him. And soon after come Katara and Toph and they're wearing like fire Navy colored capes. And then we see Sokka approach in full Fire Navy uniform, including the helmet. And we see like that uh, the confu- Aang and confusion just kind of faints at like what has happened. It looks like all of his friends have become Fire Nation people. Yeah, like this is the worst nightmare possible. Right. <laughs> what, a, what a rough way to wake up. <laughs> um, from here, we cut to another Fire Nation ship and we see Zuko and his hair is also longer and kind of shaggier. And he's doing a very Zuko thing. He's staring off at the moon, right? This is, uh, there is there's like a, a brooding uh, young man archetype here, right? He likes to stare off into the distance. Um, we see May approach and ask if he's cold. And Zuko says, I've got a lot on my mind. It's been so long, over three years since I've been home. I wonder what's changed. I wonder how I've changed. And May responds, I just asked if you were cold. I didn't ask for your whole life story. Uh, and I love May's energy. Like <laughs> just uh, she's, she has become a favorite character in the last few episodes, I think. Same. And like, I used to not be into her character at all. I feel like this was a redemption watch for me. Yeah. Cause she seemed, she, it seemed too easy to, to do may may is just like kind of the goth kid who's over it, but it's like, yeah. she's got other aspects to her. I also like her energy compared to Zuko because it's like May on her own with the the mean girls. Like she seems kind of serious and brooding, but then her compared to Zuko is like, oh, she's funny and she like right. having a good time and messing around. Well, and it's it. in- it's interesting because because from here she tells him so she both like kind of cuts into him, but then she tells him to stop worrying, and we see the two kiss, and it's like this was also a moment of like okay, this show, this is a sign like the show is growing up a little bit too in terms of like, if that, if, if, if something like that happens in, you know, the first five episodes of season one, you're like, is this what this show's going to be? But I feel like I actually felt like, oh, that's, that's kind of cool. Like it, it is, it's showing that you haven't seen Zuko in a kind of relationship like this before. So it's, yeah, I, 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 I found that really cool. Yes, it feels earned. Almost like, yeah, I, I, you know, I hate to like belabor the Harry Potter 
Mm -hmm. connections but at the same time it's like the first couple books are uh there isn't romantic interest and then it grows as the kids grow and it feels like more natural and normal and not like oh this is a tone that we're setting that this is like a weird romantic like 12 year olds getting into love with each other <laughs> yeah and, and i will say we you know we, we've talked a lot we've used the word earned a lot and i think this episode that's a good theme for for this episode mm. um because i also feel like when they first introduced may and they hinted at like may and zuko i was like i don't get it like i, I it's like you know you've, you've and you've had that in your in your life you've had friends where it's like those two are dating i don't see it but then when you see them together, you're like, Oh no, this is, this is perfect. So it's sort of interesting. It's like, they knew that this was going to work, even though I got to say, I, that would not have been my choice. Um, but it's like, no, it's kind of great. Absolutely. I love that. <laughs> so then we cut back to the ship uh, with, with Ang and his friends and Ang is asking what's going on with the ship and why, and their clothes and why he seems so, why he feels so completely out of it. And Katara tells him to relax and says, you know, you're hurt pretty bad. She says that she likes his hair. And this is the moment when Aang realizes that he has hair and he kind of freaks out. Um, and uh, at this point, Katara reveals that it's been a few weeks. Um, so we, we always mark the, uh, the passage of time. So I do sort of wish we had a calendar. I kind of want to know. I don't really know where we are in relation to like the day of Black Sun or Sozin's Comet. But definitely a significant amount of time has passed. Mm -hmm. um, at this point, we see Hakoda, uh, Katara's father, come up and ask if things are okay. And Katara is interestingly, like, very, very cold to her father. Very cold, very short with him. Um, which is interesting because we've spent this whole time. This is the first time we've seen Katara with her father, right? Because mm -hmm. we've seen Sokka with him, but we haven't seen Katara. And all she's ever talked about is how much she wants to find her dad and be with her dad. And now the first time we see them and inexplicably, at least for now, is just this cold distance that she's pushing towards him. He seems like he wants to be involved in what's happening and she's trying to push him away. Yeah. She dismisses anything he's really saying to Aang. It is almost the air of like, it, it almost felt like a, a, like an angsty teen kind of move, even though we know that that's not how Katara is and that's not what this relationship likely is supposed to be. It's It felt a little unwarranted. Like I almost was upset on behalf of her dad to be like, why are you disrespecting him this intensely in front of the Avatar? But, um, but I mean... Again, this is an episode about dads. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's also it's also realistic to that degree because if you were to walk into any family situation and just see a specific scene, you would likely say things like, "Why is that person acting like that? That doesn't make yes. sense." Where if you knew more, you'd be like, "Oh, this there's a history here. There's something else <laughs> happening under the surface." So we see Hakoda introduce himself to Aang. Um, which I guess would make sense. This is the first time Aang's been awake. So this is the first time that he's been able to introduce himself to to the Avatar. Uh, and Katara sort of continues her coldness to him. She's like, great. Now you guys have finally met. So would you mind giving us some privacy? Um, and Aang even asks, you know, why she's mad at her dad. And Katara doesn't know what he's talking about. Uh, which also seems real. Because there's times when you'll be very cold to someone. And someone else will point it out. And you're like, what do you, what do you mean? I, I 
that's I, even though it's she's being very blatantly that I don't think she's didn't like I think she might it's possible she's just not even aware of it that she's so yes. focused on what she's doing that she's not aware of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we see Ang groan in pain from his injuries, and Katara brings him upstairs for another healing session. So uh, this is this healing thing is, is uh, apparently ongoing. So we go inside. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, he uh, so he just woke up. Is that right? So did, was she doing this with him? Like when he was passed I out, assume presumably? so. Like she was like would occasionally come in and try to extract the pain, I guess, from his body. I would assume so. Um, because just over a few weeks, I can't imagine that he, that they're just like, well, we're just going to leave him in that room. Like I assume (laughs) if anybody's going to go in and check on him, it's going to be her. And Mm -hmm. we don't know. I mean, she did a little bit of healing training at the North pole. We don't know how much she knows. So she seems like the type of person who would be like, even if I, even if this, I don't know if this is going to work, I'm going to do it. Plus she says another healing session. So I'm assuming Mm -hmm. this is something that, that she's been doing. So we go inside the ship and we see a huge wound on Aang's back um, where the lightning hit him. And we see Katara using her water bending to try to heal him. Um, and when she hits a certain spot on his back, he has a flashback to just before he's struck by Azula's lightning while he's in the avatar state. Um, and then she tries to like, like pull the water. And it seems like, like she's pulling the pain out. Is that the is that the impression you get? Like she's pulling something else out besides just the water, right? Yes. And then it seems like when she successfully does that, his body like arches as the pain is leaving him, and that's when he gets those flashbacks. Yeah. So he has a se- so yeah. So he has a second flashback when she pulls that out, uh, and he this time he sees himself being hit and he's lying. He sees himself lying kind of seemingly dead. So it's like a flashback where he is not through his point of view. It's like, he's flashing back to season two somehow. Like he just has access to that in the, the avatar DVR uh, or something. Um, And he, he, uh, this is when he realizes for the first time what happened. He says, um, he says, I went down. Um, It didn't, I didn't just get hit, did I? It's worse than that. I was gone, but you brought me back. And Katara says, I just used some of the spirit water from the North Pole. I didn't know what to do. I I didn't know what I did exactly. And Aang says, you saved me. Right? So he, it's like he's more aware of how dire that situation was. Yeah, he totally died. Like, that's true. I mean, maybe people don't know if that's for sure what happened, but I think that he died and was resurrected by her. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I mean, like, it was a kind of a question in the finale of season two, but now it seems pretty certain, don't you think? Yeah, because it does does feel like, I mean, with those flashbacks, again, that he's able to see things he wasn't conscious for that I, I believe as the Avatar, he maybe does actually have access to those things. And he could, he knew what happened there. He knew he was mm-hmm. gone. And maybe that's why he could see himself from the outside because he was gone. Mm-hmm. Um, so from here, we cut to uh, the Fire Nation uh, and we see this sort of return ceremony for Azula and Zuko. And it's um, one of these like very fascistic scenes, uh, very reminiscent of uh nazi germany i mean it's it's the only iconography i have for this right that there's this sort of huge 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 palace tower with like a balcony and this uh 
way down below this the ranks of Fire Nation people, Fire Nation soldiers. Uh, we have what is one of the coolest scenes in this episode. It's it's kind of chilling how cool this is. I think um, because uh, we see out on the balcony addressing this huge crowd are the two old women who we think are maybe Azula's firebending masters or they were training her in season two, right? Training her in her use of lightning. Yeah. And they were giving her advice. They were the ones who said, you know, maybe you need to get rid of all these people around you because you'll, you're very obvious doing that. Um, so yeah, I mean, they seem like what Iroh is to Zuko. They are to him. So I, I desperately hope we learn more about who these two women are. Mm-hmm. Um, anyhow, they're, a, they're, a, uh, addressing the crowd and they're telling her story and it starts with one of them talking and then eventually they talk in unison. And again, it is a huge, this is like exposition dump. Number one, there's going to be two big exposition dumps in this. This is the first big one. Um, so they so, have the energy, they have the energy of the twins in the shining, like in the hallway. Yes. That are, don't you think it's like very spooky the way that they talk in unison? Yeah. But, but they're also like heralds of like this yes. conquering hero. Right. And they're going to tell like uh, what I love about it is it's also, it's like a combination of the twins from the shining and Kate Blanchett from the beginning of Lord of the Rings, where she's like telling the story. Yep. It's like yep. like this is the official narrative of what happened. Uh, and it's again it there's something chilling about it and yes. Okay. So so I'm going to read what they say cuz uh, there's a lot of exposition in this episode so so let's just listen to it. So they say your princess Azula, clever and beautiful, disguised herself as the enemy and entered the kingdom's capital. In Bossing say she found her brother Zuko and together they faced the avatar and here's where they start sort of reciting together and the avatar fell and the earth kingdom fell azula's agents quickly overtook the entire city they went to bossing say's great walls and they brought them down and from here we cut as they're telling the story we see um actually scenes of this happening now at this point the scene that we see is members of the Dai Li standing on top of the walls of Ba Sing Se and then like sliding down the walls and tearing them down, which makes me wonder like what power does she have over the Dai Li? Cause like, like, and it, and it may be that the Dai Li are also brainwashed and she was able to tap into whatever their programming is because they on her command are tearing down the walls of the city that they were required to defend. So like, like somehow she's in their heads. You know, I was watching this uh, again, another time, like the third or fourth time. And Mike and I watched it together for this episode. And Mike said, those are the most despicable characters of the season of the series of the whole series is the daily that they are the one. And it just seems like it doesn't matter who is in charge. It doesn't matter what their morals or ethics are. They will just be paid for like, it, it just matters how much they're being paid or how much glory they're going to receive. So I don't even know if it's so much like her ability or if it's brainwashed. I just feel like these folks are just really rotten to the core. Don't you think? Like, I don't, I don't know. Uh, yeah. It's that, but, but the only reason why I wonder about brainwashing is because we know 
that mm-hmm. that is a that is something that happened. I mean, <laughs> like they they could have their own because we never really hear the Dai Li folks talk that much. They mm-hmm. could have their own sort of Judy programming, and they're programmed to you know to follow Long Fang, and Long Fang basically turned them over to Azula. So like I just don't know if they know what they're doing. But this you know we can think about this in terms of um. <sighs> Well, in terms of a lots of lots of uh, movements in history, where you see people who get so caught up in things that are happening mm. that they end up crossing lines, where you'd be like, "Wait, how is it that you could do this? How is it that you could betray your own people? How is it that yeah. you could betray humanity in this way?" So it it also could be a matter of that. I mean, we use the word fascistic, right? Like like. Like we are, we are through the looking glass in terms of a real kind of fascist, fascist imperial thing, you know. And um, yeah, I whether it's seduced by power or brainwashing, yeah. It reminds me of um, taking modern Europe from Dr. Gertz <laughs> when I was like maybe a junior, and we read Ordinary Men. Have you read Ordinary I, Men? I was thinking of that exact book. Yes. The the idea uh, so um, about these ordinary soldiers under in Nazi Germany who it's almost like this slow boil, and like you don't know that you're that you're simmering and you're boiling. Like you keep taking these steps, um, and you keep obeying these authorities above you, and then you realize maybe towards a, a certain moment that you have passed so many thresholds of what uh, is acceptable human behavior and you start doing these things that are really horrific and terrible and like any human being is really capable of that um, depending on your context and depending on uh, the authority above you. So yeah, totally. I could totally see that. And that that's exactly what I was thinking of. I just didn't want to like, I've already evoked Nazi Germany <laughs> once. I didn't want to just keep doing that. Yes. But like, but that's exactly what I thought of was like, like, and it starts with Long Fang, right? And and what you can see is that you can have Long Fang who may have one particular ideology, one particular set of things. But again, once you've already crossed that line of kind of blind loyalty, mm. that can also then get transferred to somebody else who may have entirely different sets of values as well. And so it's it's sort of the the danger of not not having a of killing slowly killing or boiling your conscience. Right. And, and it's not, I mean, it's not even just Nazi Germany, but even thinking like Stanford prison experiment, like there's so many mm-hmm. things where people will take on these roles that are much more extreme than, than you ever think possible of yourself. Well, and, and let's think, and I, I, I don't have a, a, a historic, a specific historical analog, but I know this to be true. I mean, if we want to put this, cause this is actually the, the framework here is really one that's more of like the framework of imperialism, mm-hmm. right? Yep. That it's like, and and maybe you can think of a, something cuz you teach uh you teach a course in asian uh asian history like can you think of an example of a place where the imperializers come in and basically empower some of the local people to the point where they're actually damaging their people because they're because of this you know because that you you get sort of caught up in the power of the imperializer does that make yeah, sense yeah i mean yes exactly like I think there's probably a lot of examples about it's certainly about like imperialism and colonizing areas and um, like uh, human trafficking in general uh, for the purpose of, of kind of like being a middleman and, and taking people from your community in order to serve something that's an invader 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So, so, I mean, all of this comes from like seven seconds on screen of seeing the Daily take the walls down. But, but it, <laughs> it's helpful to think about because it does make sense out of a thing that, like we were saying before, out of context, to be like, wait, why are they doing this? Well, you have to think about this story that's building up to this. And it's not a story we see all of. We just see the end result. But it does point you to what what humanity can be capable of, you know, in, in some dark ways. So the story continues. The, the, um, the, the, the heralds continue. They say, uh, the armies of the Fire Nation surged through the wall and swarmed over Ba Sing Se, securing our victory. And here we see Fire Nation soldiers marching through the city, the citizens hiding in horror. We see rhinos parading down the streets as defeated citizens look on, including Baby Hope. Did you notice? Yes. <laughs> so, the so Baby this. Baby Hope. Yes. Is like huddling with her family, and they're all, I mean, they're shivering, like they're shaking and in fear. Yeah. And it's, it's just so interesting how we have traced that, uh, that couple and that child from Zuko alone on and it's just been that's been just it was it Zuko alone or even before that I'm trying to remember it might have even been before I know that Zuko saw a pregnant couple in Z- yeah, I oh, think no. that I th- that was Zuko alone yeah 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 so yeah. so it's it's really interesting so it also makes me think if they're if they're going to keep bringing that up like I want to know more about hope I want to know more about like are we going to see more of her and her story um, you know, in different kinds of ways. So we're, we're fond of spinoffs. That's a spinoff I would be interested <laughs> in as well. Um, maybe like a, a really artsy short film about baby hope growing up in the ruins of bossing say, or something. I would love it. I would love yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we, finally we see the fire nation tanks roll up on the palace itself. Um, and the, the heralds continue. Now our heroes have returned home. Your princess Azula and after three long years, your prince has returned, Zuko. And we see Zuko appear wearing a crown. And he has his hair kind of up in a like kind of knot at the top with, uh, with the, the little Fire Nation crown. And we see the massive crowds cheering for him. And I wrote in my notes, Zuko looks conflicted. Um, I, that's probably, there's probably a better word to describe the way he looks. But it's definitely like this moment where he has all of the things... He kind of has everything he ever wanted uh, throughout this show, right? He has the, he is restored. He has the adulation of his people. Like, like think of how intoxicating uh, thousands of people cheering for you would feel. And it's one of those moments of you've got everything you've ever wanted, but how do you feel about it? And he feels, seems conflicted. Yep. I, I even thought as he was, co- so he's like walking up to the edge of the balcony when the heralds are saying his name. And there was a moment when the crowd is silent, just listening to them. And there was a moment where I thought, what if no one does anything? Like, what if no one applauds? Like, did you think that too? I, I did. Not, I was not certain that people would cheer for him. And I wonder if he feels that too. Like, Oh, absolutely. That, absolutely. That his place there is, I mean, we talk about, earned things being earned like that his place there isn't really earned i mean how did he get there he sold over his uncle right like yeah like that's that's kind of the big and he uh sold over these people that he was starting to fraternize with that he was starting to become almost friends with like katara and ang so it's not even like 
necessarily he's restored his honor, but he somehow is in this place where people are accepting that he is. Well, okay, I'm going to circle back to Earned one more time. This is a perfect example of we have such a history with these characters that it. when I rate he looks conflicted, you, what I'm really saying is everything you just said. We have that whole history of all of the things. They don't have to flash back to Iroh or something. It's like we know. We know exactly mm-hmm. what's going through his head. They have done such a good job of putting us in his head that we have the anxiety of how will the crowd react, which is his anxiety. Um I think that, and that's just great storytelling because it is a, it is a, like, don't, you don't need to be obvious about it. You don't need to show us what he's thinking because we're thinking it too. Mm-hmm. And we're disappointed in him. Like, like, you know, like, 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 like we spent so much of season two thinking he has really changed and he's moving in this direction. And then he's faced with a choice and really struggles and, and makes what I, we would deem the wrong choice. You know, and um, yeah, I, I I love that moment because it is so packed with um, yeah. with thoughts that that they don't have to show us. Yes, it was just a couple seconds long. Like truly, it, him walking to the edge was not that long of a scene, and yet it felt like a pause was happening. Like it felt like a breath was being taken. Like we were all collectively like, "How is this going to pan out for Zuko?" Yes. So we cut away from this uh, and we cut back to our hero ship and we get uh, exposition dump number two. And our, our, um, our agent of exposition is Sokka. Um, so we just see them there. It's like, they're sitting around and, and Sokka's like, let me catch you and all of our viewers up with what has happened. How did we end up here? So it's interesting that they waited this long to be like, let us tell you the story. And Sokka literally just tells the story. So we have these, this, this episode has a lot of mirroring. So we have this mirroring of like different people telling the story of what has happened in these ensuing weeks. Um, So Sokka starts to tell him the story. He says, uh, after what happened in Ba Sing Se, we had to get you to safety. We flew back to Chameleon Bay where we found my father and the other water tribe men. The Earth King decided he wanted to travel the world in disguise, so he set off alone. Well, not completely alone. And we see the Earth King in, like, kind of peasant's clothes and (laughs) with Bosco also in his bear version of peasant's clothes. And they're going to go, like, walk the Earth and explore. I love the writing off of those characters. (laughs) It's it's, so ex- it's exactly that's what I said to Esme. Is that's exactly what it was. Is they realized, oh shoot, we have the Earth King, and he's kind of a like, he's he's just not that fun to be with. So <laughs> let's get rid of him. Um, I did notice when he took off his like king clothes and put on his commoner clothes that he's wearing one sandal, oh. <laughs> which is just a very odd. But it is. It, it strikes me as like. This is a, a wealthy person who's trying to like cosplay poverty. So it's yes. like, what would a poor person have? Well, they'd have one sandal. It's <laughs> it's just it's very strange. <laughs> like <laughs> that's amazing. I never thought of it like that, and I did not notice that he had one sandal. Yeah, I, I want he's you like- to go back and watch just that one scene because it's it is very. And he's like so he just has such glee on his face about what oh. he's going to go do. 
Oh, that's so embarrassing. He's like, I'm the average man. <laughs> I just have one shoe. <laughs> that's oh. how I read it. I, I, that, yeah, it's it's is a very is a very very funny. No, you moment. know what? That's a that is a very Avatar joke. I feel like that was a subtle, really amazing joke that they threw in there. Yes. <laughs> Uh, it took me the third viewing to be like, oh, I, that's that. Yeah. Um, so then Sokka continues. He says, soon the bay was overrun with Fire Nation ships. Rather than fight them all, we captured a single ship and made our, uh, <clears throat> we can't cancel the, excuse me, captured a single ship um, and made our, that we made our disguise. Since then, we've been traveling west. We crossed through the Serpent's Pass. We get a good shot of a map here. We crossed through the Serpent's Pass a few days ago. We've seen a few Fire Nation ships, but none have bothered us. Um, so, so we get this sense of, okay, that's why they're on this ship. That's We, we also get this sense of here's where they are in the world. Sokka is pointing to the map. I mean, this also is, is a, a, a version of... Um, I mean, you brought up Harry Potter, so I'll bring, this will be my obligatory Star Wars reference. It's a version of like when they... Um, capture the stormtroopers and put on their costumes, yeah. and or or there are there are episodes of Star Wars where they have a we have a captured Empire you know um, cargo ship, and we're going to use that to fly right in because they have the codes to do this or that. I mean, that's how Luke gets to the Death Star is is through that. So it's 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 um it's uh yeah it's 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 an old trope uh, in terms of that but i but i do love the the exposition dump of like okay now we're now we're caught up and ang's caught up um but then we go from from there to um talking about what the plan is going forward mm. um so we see hakoda jump in and say we've been working on a modified version of the invasion plan and Katara very snippily jumps in and says, it's Sokka's invasion plan. Um, again, this energy is, is so, so. Yes. Uh, also, yeah. Katara is never quick to give Sokka credit for anything. So I feel like oh, that good says point. something. <laughs> so Hakoda says, yes, Sokka's plan. We won't be able to mount a major invasion without the Earth King's armies. But the solar eclipse will still leave the Fire Nation vulnerable. Sasaka says, we're planning on a smaller invasion, just a ragtag team of our friends and allies from around the Earth Kingdom. So you had to know that my heart warmed at this point for two reasons. I love the term ragtag to describe (laughs) any group of people. I think I've used it many times on this podcast, but also the idea of our allies, because we talked a lot about season one, collecting allies that I assume like there's going to be this moment where all of these people we've we've met along the way that they specifically named and set up backstories for that those folks have to come back. So I imagined season three was going to be in part this story of collecting these allies back. And to hear him say that just made me feel great. When, when I watched it, I was like, wherever Sam is and whenever he watches this, he will be so happy because I feel like it was like episode four, season one, when we were like, yes, getting the team together. Like, this is going to be a theme at some point. Yeah, I, I loved it. And they said, we've already ran into Pipsqueak and the Duke. Uh, and those are and those so those are the the two soldiers that uh, that Aang encountered on the ship, the very big and very large one, which led me to, to think about. Uh, one character in particular. Do you know which character I'm? I'm wondering about at this point. Jet. I well, I'm wondering about Jet, but I'm wondering about a character named Sneers. Because when we're introduced to the Freedom Fighters, there are five of them besides oh. Jet. 
There is Smellerby, long shot. Yeah. There's Pipsqueak and the Duke. The first person we meet is a character named Sneers. Where is Sneers? (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) I don't even remember Sneers. I feel so bad. Did Sneers get canceled? Is he just, is he... Are we going to meet him at some other point? Isn't it weird that there that there's there's like another freedom fighter that I truly don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember this character. Oh no. <laughs> um. What? Uh. Yeah. And no, I don't I, remember I, anything about. I just remember. I remember the scene where they pan across, and I remember that there were five, and I had to look up because I keep forgetting Sneer's name. Um, wow. Yeah. Well, um, for some reason, something happened to Sneers somewhere. <laughs> so yeah, and, and and maybe maybe we'll get maybe we'll get a Sneer sighting at some point. Yeah, um, maybe it uh, died really epically. Who wow, knows? that could be. I, this, I, mean, any, I don't know. I'm open to anything here. Yeah, or maybe he <laughs> went and like now runs a convenience store somewhere in the Earth Kingdom. Yes, you know, a tea shop like Iroh. Who knows? Yeah, could be. I don't know why. I don't know. Why we, I don't know that we need another tea shop, but that's that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Although he's not in Bossing Say, so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I actually do. I do love the fact that there is. If we never see sneers, that the whole time we'll be able to be like, "Huh, there was another freedom fighter who went a different way." Yeah. I the wonder. True lost boy. Yeah, I wonder, like, like what that. Ooh, I would listen to, oh. uh, a ten episode podcast sneer series sneeries i was gonna say series <laughs> think about something like serial but it's like we can call it like looking for sneers and it's about Ooh. it's about a journalist who travels through the earth kingdom trying to find sneers yes and there's all of these signs but like at the end of the series you're like i don't know i still yeah. don't know because <laughs> if it's a good podcast series you can't have an answer at the end <laughs> when i thought that you said listen to, I was thinking folk music, that Sneers became a folk musician, which I also like. What if he he connected with, well, okay, in the podcast, there has to be an episode where they connect with the Cave of Two Lovers people. And they're like, yeah, we, you know, like they encountered him at some point. And they wrote a song about him. Yeah. And the song contains clues. Yes. Oh, Yes. I'm wow, I, I would definitely listen to this podcast. This is We're, the one avenue we haven't talked about, Sam, is true crime. Yeah, yeah. Right? True yeah. crime and Avatar. <laughs> oh, man, we could get all of the white girls in on this. <laughs> I love it. Yes. I love it so much. We have, we, have our, uh, we have our Avatar murder show now, <laughs> <laughs> searching for sneers. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> there for it i'm there for it so we see pipsqueak and the duke and then Sokka says the best part is the eclipse even isn't even our biggest advantage we have a secret and then he looks at ang and he says you yep the whole world thinks you're dead isn't that great and we see ang just look shocked at him at this idea and we cut to commercial then we come back uh for commercial same scene ang says the world thinks i'm dead how is that good news that's terrible and Sokka says, no, it's great. It means the Fire Nation won't be hunting us anymore. And even better, they won't be expecting you on the day of Black Sun. Aang is not happy with this idea. Yeah, he's and this like is pulling at his hair. He's saying, like, this is so messed up. 
Yeah, and 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 this is what what I like about this is they introduced this idea that and Saka's not wrong that this is actually a major advantage they have. Mm-hmm. Um, what's interesting is season two, episode one is all about somebody seeing Aang as a major advantage and a potential weapon mm-hmm. in this same invasion. Right, we see General Fong doing that in the avatar state and now we see almost that same energy from Sokka he's like the best part is you're our secret weapon and everybody thinks this about it's like Aang is being drafted into this to play a very specific role that is kind of the role of avatar but it's also this other thing and we're going to see the rest of this episode is going to be about Aang struggling with this idea of what does it mean for people to think that he's dead? Cause it's not the first time in his life. This has happened. Yeah. And I mean, he has no agency either. Similarly to <laughs> the first episode of season two. Yeah. No agency at all. in, in whether he wants this or not. Um, I also was curious because Sokka seems very positive about this development that he, I mean like, and it is an advantage, like you said, at the same time, we know that when the Fire Nation uh, realized that the next Avatar would be born into the Air Nation, the Air Nomads, they massacred everyone. So is there not a part of the Water Tribe that is concerned that their people will be destroyed, like that there will be a genocide? Annie, you just you just touched on the a big conversation I had last night uh, with my daughter, who's going to be a guest on the show at some point. Um, good, good. But, but we, we were talking about this whole idea. Cause, cause one of the, one of the themes um, that we'll see more of, and it, it even already came out in the, um, the sort of women heralds speech mm. is the idea that the avatar was killed, right? He was mm. defeated. He was killed. And we know from the blue spirit that the conventional wisdom and the history of the avatar cycle is that if the avatar is killed, he'll just be reborn and reborn in the water nation. This is the knowledge they have. Now we as viewers know if Aang is killed in the avatar state, that cycle is broken, but they don't know that. Mm -hmm. So it's, you're exactly right. Now uh, one of the things that Esme pointed out was that at the same time, the fire nation knows that they have, probably several years because even if even if the new avatar is born instantly like i don't think a four-year-old because av- like they they the the air nomads even talk about like we should have waited till you were older to let you know this right so um so i'm really curious about the earth nation or the fire nation's long-term plans sure. like they have this this once in a century opportunity with sozin's comet where they're going to be very powerful they've basically conquered the earth the power structures of the earth kingdom if not conquered the actual land and people and hearts and minds of the earth kingdom so i had the exact same thought which is what would i do with sozin's comet if i was ozai i would obliterate the water tribe like that would be the next step because that's where the next avatar comes from then after that it's earth like then then you then you point everything back at that it's also interesting too to think that Perhaps the first time it happened with the Air Nomads, it was unexpected. And you have a group of monks that are like largely a peaceful community that maybe don't, that aren't mobilized. Uh, where in season one at the end, we already have the water tribe. I mean, with the help of the Avatar in the Avatar state, but the water, the Northern Water Tribe is able to push back the forces of the Fire Nation. So maybe it doesn't seem quite as easy as like, 
as unfortunately as the genocide was for the air nomads. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I feel like, like every hundred years there's the potential. I mean, with this kind of power, cause that's the last time they did something like this was when they had the power of Sosan's comet, but now they really know about it and they can prepare for it in a different kind of way. I would be, I would be more nervous. So I hadn't thought of that, but like, you're absolutely right. Like, like, uh, especially the fact that we're surrounded by these water tribe folks that they should be thinking more. Oh no. Like, like, like we are now the target. It's like, it's like people, it's like everyone has forgotten about the avatar cycle right now. No one's thinking about it. And it might just be again, because it's going to be 10, 15 years before this becomes relevant. Yep. 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 They bought, they have bought themselves a little bit of time, at least in terms of like five years or more. <laughs> absolutely. No, no, ab- absolutely. So at this point we see another fire nation ship approach um, and we see Ang preparing to take them on, uh, but he's clearly still in pain and Katara stops him and says, wait, remember they don't know we're not fire nation. Um, you know, so, so their plan is to just be like, yep, we're just a, another fire nation vessel. They'll just pass us by. And we see Hakoda and Bado put on their, their helmets and Pipsqueak and the Duke have this big tarp they use to cover up Appa. That was a kind of great <laughs> scene of like, well, what do you do with this giant bison? I just throw a tarp on it. That'll be no one. No one will look under the tarp and we see everyone else hide and Aang is stewing because he says, I hate not being able to do anything um, because his, his job as avatar is he is the person who is supposed to be the problem solver, who's supposed to be the unifier. And instead, you know, the first time he had his, uh, he appeared to have died, right. That was this thing, which he out of fear kind of like chose to a degree or, or it had, or at least instinctually did. Now it's like going against his instincts to be like, that was the problem as I wasn't here before. And now you're making me, you're forcing me into like remaining dead. Uh, and, and, and how will people think about that? Uh, we see the officers from the other ship come on board and question Hakoda and Bato about where they're going. And they make up a pretty good lie about having orders to deliver cargo to the Fire Nation. And they discuss the, <laughs> this is one of my favorite moments. They discuss the lack of courtesy for not sending a message that the ship was coming. Um, the fire, it's clear the Fire Navy officers suspect something and Toph overhears them. And she metal bends the sh- their own the, their the ship they're on, throwing them into the sea. Then we see Katara bend a huge wave, which basically washes over the other ship and almost tips it over. And it's just this great moment of seeing both Toph and Katara, uh, like how powerful they are. Because we've seen yeah. Toph metal bend a little bit, but now she's metal bending like she earth bends, right? Like like it's it's not a small move of like knocking a door open like it's and then and katara we see now can control like tsunami level like ocean waves which is pretty cool to see her in that way you know it's probably not fair of me to say at the the beginning of the episode that this is just an episode about men because the the two really displays of power are from women in the episode (laughs) and then everything else is kind of more the drama and like the familial issues are like coming from the men in the episode but like Toph and Katara are ready to go. Annie, I'm going to argue the three reels of dis- real displays of power come from women. Ooh. Cuz we're going to see we're going to see some flexing from Azula. Oh, true. <laughs> not yes. not bending power, but but power. Yes, very true. <laughs> okay, so um 
from here we cut to Zuko and he's feeding uh or he's he's back at the the little pond in the palace that we saw multiple times in Zuko alone and he's feeding the turtle ducks. Um and Azula we see as like Azula's shadow come up over him. Yes. Uh she approaches does the turtle ducks swim away because because we know how she feeds them. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) The turtle duck nature is like, no, this girl's bad. (laughs) Yes. Um, So Azula approaches and she says, you seem so downcast. Has may gotten to you already though. Actually may, uh, may has been strangely in a good mood lately. And Zuko says, I haven't seen dad yet. I haven't seen him in three years since I was banished. And Azula says, so what? And Zuko says, so I didn't capture the avatar. Azula says, who cares? The avatar's dead. Unless you think he somehow miraculously survived. And at this point, we see Zuko flash back to Katara showing him the water from the spirit oasis. And Zuko says, no, there's no way he could have survived. And we see them kind of size each other up. And Azula says, well, then I'm sure you have nothing to worry about. Now, what's interesting is this is a this is a moment where the uh, storytellers didn't trust us as much. They they actually went back and showed us what went through Zuko's head. Unlike before, where it's like, yeah, we got it. This time, they're like, let's remember Zuko knows Zuko knows this thing. So, um, mm-hmm. um, this and and, and th- what I love about this is is we're planting this seed that Azula is not. Uh, not buying her own propaganda. She knows that the story being told and we'll see, she's the one telling it is about the death of the avatar, but she knows or not. She knows maybe there's something else going on. Maybe he's not actually dead and we need to be concerned about that. And she might be the only person in the world. She and Zuko who uh, in the fire nation who have that knowledge or that thought. Yeah. Yeah. So then we cut back to the sea and we see the fire Navy ship is now catapulting fireballs at our hero ship. We see pipsqueak load up a huge stone, like a huge stone disc and Toph is like bending them, shooting them at the, um, at the ship and takes out one of the catapults inside the ship. Aang is itching to go back and fight what we see. Sokka continue to hold him back. Uh, the fire. Na- yeah, go ahead. This made me think about, is there a scene? I mean, this felt so familiar to me watching this of like uh, a person who has all of this power and ability, but has to withhold it, um, has to be patient before they show their power uh, because other people are telling them to. It just felt like something that I have seen in a series or a show before, and I could not place where it was, and it was bothering me. That's a good question. I feel like 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 this show does that a lot, where it feels like there's a reference, but I'm not connecting the specific to it. Uh, yes. And I'm yeah, I'm struggling to think about like like where what is an example of like a a hidden power. I mean. Um, I'm putting you on the spot. Yeah. I mean, there's, it's, it's not, it's not this, but there is an element of like Lord of the Rings in terms of like, we have a, um, we have a particular power we could, we could use and unleash, but there is a danger to that part, but it's not that like, that's not, that's not what it is. I, it's you, yeah, and it, there's some part of it that feels familiar, and I don't know why. Maybe it's just really good storytelling to make it feel like something right. I've seen before. Well, like, th- th- I mean, there there is there's a different Lord of the Rings 
comparison that I would make. And I don't know that it's exactly hiding, but you know, we think of Lord of the Rings and we think about the ring and we think about Frodo, but there's also, um, so the avatar is both the ring of power, right? But the avatar is also Aragorn, right? Think about the last movie is the return of the King, right? And there is this sense that there's, I mean, there is a scene in, in, I don't know if it's two towers or Lord of the, or, or uh, return of the King where they talk about the thing that, that Sauron doesn't know yet is that a sealed air has risen, you know, or like not risen, but like has ah. come back. Right. And we even see in at least the movies, we see Aragorn like die and be reborn. And like, mm. so that's, so, so there are elements of that where he is also kind of a secret weapon as well. Uh, but it's ah. not exactly this either. Uh, you're, you're right. There is, I'm, I'm itching to like, and I wish, I wish Chris Moore was here. Cause I think he would, he would, the reference he's probably like pulling his hair out listening to this being like it's this and i can't think of, i can't think of what it is but you're 100 percent right that helped though i because i i know that feeling from uh lord of the rings so i feel like it's that there's something a little more and i can't figure out what it is yeah yeah and it i'm sh- i'm sh- i just can't i I'm, I'm with you i can't quite um someone's I, gotta I can't email us sam someone's that's right email us please do <laughs> channel 3900 at gmail.com uh, so we see we see that the the fire navy ship starts to shoot harpoons, which create like a hole in the ship, uh, in in the hull of our hero ship. Uh, and Katara water bends like a patch of ice to to fix the hole in the ship. Um, and then she creates like this cloud of steam to give their ship cover so that they can they can get away. And we see the the fire uh, nation ship continues to throw fireballs into. Um, into the cloud of steam. And we see a frustrated Aang run out um, to try to enter the fight, but soccer runs after him and grabs his staff. And he says, you're still hurt and you have to say, stay secret. Just let us handle this. And Aang reluctantly relents. We see Katara waterbend to put out a fire on the ship ship and Toph asks how we're doing. And Sokka says, things couldn't get much worse. Um, and, and I feel like this is, this is, there's a great Sokka moment here. And again, this is where we get that little, little piece of humor. He says, things couldn't get much worse. And at this point, a huge sea serpent breaks out of the water. And Sokka says, the universe just loves proving me wrong. Doesn't it? <laughs> I love Sokka's like struggle with like the karmic universe of this yes. world. Yes. <laughs> Sokka and fate are just, yeah. it's a rough pair. <laughs> yeah. He should never make pronouncements about anything because uh, this is now a running joke where he's, where he's either debating with, with the, which what's great is it really is sort of like this in a very light way, like wrestling with something like God, right? Like he's oh. like, there is this power outside of us. Think about like when he's trapped in the, um, trapped in the ground in bitter work and he's yes. like he's like bargaining with god or there's all these moments where he wants to say well now we're safe now we've it's sort of like now we're in control of this now we're okay and then like a bad thing happens to remind him like you're actually not not in control so we see this huge sea serpent breakout and what i couldn't tell is is this the same sea serpent from the serpent's pass Look, I think it is because uh they mentioned the serpent's pass no, they say that like they're past the it yeah yeah. Yep, yep. That like a couple days ago they had passed through. So I feel like it, yeah. it very well could be the same serpent. It looks like the same one. Right? Uh, yeah, I, I think it is. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely not the Unagi. It's, it, it, I think it's the same coloring and stuff as the serpent's past sea serpent. So let's say that it's that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so, so Osaka says the universe just loves proving me wrong, doesn't it? And Toph says, well, you make it too easy. <laughs> and we see the sea serpent is struck by one of the fireballs. So it actually leaves our hero ships and goes over to attack the other ship. It wraps, kind of coils itself around the ship um, and, and tips it over. And Sokka says, thank you, the universe. And they sail off. So dark. So dark. <laughs> yes. Because there are human beings on that ship who have now perished. Uh, yes. They are now the serpent snack. That's right. Uh, so we cut from here to kind of a quaint seaside Earth Kingdom village where we see our hero ship is docked. We see Aang laying in his room and he's bored. He, he's not allowed to go out into the world, not allowed to do anything. And he's literally watching water drip from a vent in the ceiling. <laughs> I think we've all been there as a kid. Uh, in walks Sokka, Katara, and Toph. And they say, we're going to town to find some dinner. And Aang says he's hungry. So Sokka gives him a headband to cover up his arrow. And Aang announces, I'm not going out if I can't wear my arrow proudly. And we see Sokka plead with Aang to be practical. So Katara decides to send Sokka and Toph off and she says, you know, she'll catch up with them. And then he, she's down to have a talk with Aang. And he says, she says, I think I understand why being a secret bothers you so much. You don't want people to think you've failed. And Aang says, you're right. I don't, but the problem is I did fail. Katara says, that's not true. Aang says, it is true. I was in bossing say I was there, but I lost. And now the earth kingdom has fallen for good. Now what's interesting about that, that statement is um, if you know anything about like working with people who are in a crisis, right? Notice how he makes this jump and it's not just that the earth kingdom has fallen, but the earth kingdom has fallen for good. So it's like, it's all over. Nothing can be done. It's like he, so he's, it's like he's over projecting how bad things are. Right. And saying I've, I've, I failed. It's over. Everything's permanent. This reminded me a lot of, I mean, we're going to see the cut from him to Zuko and how they, they're they mirroring each other in this episode, but kind of almost as opposites. And um, as one that receives honor and one that is denied honor or feels like he lost his honor. And uh, the two voices that are that seem to always be paired in this episode are like Katara and what Iroh would say. Right. Because Zuko would Zuko would say those same things. We've heard him, especially when he feels like his honor is lost, when he feels at his lowest, he is so willing to uh, express that nothing is going his way. Everything is terrible. He uses all of these big words to describe. Kind of absolute statements. Yeah, exactly. And Iroh and Katara both say, this is temporary. Like any choices you make are choices that affect you right now, but they don't need to be what impacts you for the future. Right. Like you can shift, you can change and you can move in a different direction and you can shape your character. Right. And like you can regain that honor. Um, so it's super interesting. I really like the parallels that they do. Absolutely. So, and, and so Katara says, it's not for good. Remember, there's still a plan, the invasion. And Aang like snaps back at her angrily and says, I hate the invasion plan too. I don't want you or anyone else risking your lives to fix my mistakes. And at this point, he rips down the Fire Nation flag that's on the wall. And there's a scene here that it was, it's interesting because again, this is animated. So they had to draw this. This is, so it's not just like this was a happy accident in filming. He pulls down the fire nation flag from the wall. And when he does so 
his staff gets knocked over and falls to the ground and he throws the flag and it kind of lands on top of his staff. Hmm. And it's just, it's such like a weird intent. Like it's obviously it's intentional because they made it, but it's like, I want, like, it makes me wonder why. And it makes me think about like the ending image of this scene as well. Like his staff plays a role going forward in this scene or in this episode. Interesting. So, so, okay. Explain this to me a little more. Cause I didn't notice this. This is like a, is this a small part of the scene? It is a, it is a two and a half seconds on screen. Yeah. So, so his staff gets knocked down as he pulls the flag. Uh-huh. And as the flag comes off the wall, it, like covers his stuff yeah and okay. they like cu- they cut away to show that it's not like this happens in the background it's like they cut away from ang to see the Ooh. staff on the ground and the flag falls on top of it oh so like, it, like it's super intentional it's not like a, oh that's we didn't mean something like it means something oh my gosh okay wait what do you think it means i, I don't know like i mean i i, I, <laughs> I wonder i wonder if it's a foreshadowing to uh, to the the final shot of this episode, where we see his staff literally engulfed in flames. Hmm. I don't know. Like like the staff is clearly part of his identity because whenever he's going to go be be Ang the Avatar, like that's his that's his tool, right? Yeah. That's where he's going to. That's the thing that allows him to fly off alone, right? Um, I don't know. Like like it is. The, the staff has such a symbolic meaning later in this episode that it's it's inter- it's just interesting that they included that. I'm not quite sure I have a way to unpack exactly what it means, but it is interesting that they made it a point to do that. Yeah, it, it reminds me of the thing that he seemed to be struggling with a lot with season two is that he needs to remember that he's also a part of him is also fire. Mm-hmm. Like a part of him as the avatar also is identified by the fire nation and like, maybe, I mean, I don't know, maybe oh, that, I, I like I, that. Yeah. Maybe I am projecting, but it feels like perhaps he uh, needs to come to terms with the fact that his identity, especially in season three, that is all about fire and like mm-hmm. learning fire. Um, well, it is interesting because that's something which does not come up in this episode. Mm, they do not yes. discuss, you know, and we, we've, t- we've talked about sort of the two avatar power paths. One of them being the like avatar hack of like avatar state, which seems like he doesn't need to learn fire to do that. And the other part is master the four elements balance. And like the avatar mm-hmm. state seems destructive where the other seems constructive, maybe mm-hmm. like it can actually build things up and build unity where the other is like, well, we could go wipe out the fire nation. Yep. Yep. So, so that duality, I'm really fascinated to see going forward. So I'm glad you brought up the fire training thing. Cause I think that's actually a big piece of this. Um, and maybe it is emblematic of the, uh, these opposing sides to him, that fire is part of him and, and, and air is part of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I like that. I like that. It's just, it was just a very, very interesting scene. So he says, um, and continues, he says, I've always known that I would have to face the fire Lord. But now I know I need to do it alone. And Aang sends Katara away. Katara says, is there anything you need? And here we get this. uh, I think my daughter and I both freaked out at this shot. It's like one of the great shots of this episode and maybe of the show. We get, as the camera sort of pans from Katara over to Aang, we get an extreme close-up of Aang, but just half his face. A view that we've seen of 
Zuko so many times and we hear him say, I need to redeem myself. I need my honor back. (laughs) And it's like, it is just season one Zuko. And it's even the way that they would shoot it. Uh, and, and like you said, pairing like the coupling with Katara and Iroh, like when we would see that scene in the past, it would be Iroh in the background and Zuko in the foreground. And now we have Katara in the background and Aang in the foreground. And we, and just to make sure we didn't miss it, we get a dissolve from this scene to the left half of Zuko's face, the scarred half of Zuko's face on the opposite side of the screen and they dissolve into each other. Well done cinematographer editor of, um, of avatar. It's a great, those two shots are great paired together. So good. So good. Also, how old was Zuko when he was banished? Uh, wasn't it? I think so. I mean, it's roughly Ang's age if that's what you're going for. Yeah. Yeah. Seems similar. Just so many similarities. Yeah. 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 So we, we cut to this this quick s- scene of Zuko and we see he's walking down a long hall to the Fire Lord's throne room. And before he goes in, he pauses and takes a deep breath and then we see him enter the room. Uh, and we cut away from it there. And it's like, oh, I think that's the thing we wanted to see. And they, they sort of withhold it from us for a little bit longer. So we cut back to Katara bringing food to Aang's room, but he, she realizes he's not there. We cut to Aang flying through the night sky. So he has decided to go off on his own. And then we're back to the Fire Lord's throne room. And we see Zuko bow before his father. Uh, The Fire Lord says, you have been away for a long time. I see that the weight of your travels has changed you. So he's acknowledging like Zuko has changed, right? You have redeemed yourself, my son. So if Zuko's getting everything he ever wanted, is this not the words he most wanted to hear spoken? Um, And we see Ozai walk up to Zuko and say, welcome home. I believe it's at this point, if not a little bit later in the episode where we see Ozai's full face. Is it? Yes, this is, this is the first time we see him. Yeah. Okay, so I know that you're trying to avoid spoilers, Sam. Mm-hmm. But I'm somebody who kind of knows where we're going. So I looked it up. This is the only time in the whole series we see Ozai's full face. So we'll see him, obviously, more throughout the series. Right. From shadows, partially viewed from far away. But this is the only time we see him up close. Probably the only human like the most human way we could ever see ozai and it still feels mechanic like he looking at his face does not feel like you're looking at the face of a person like he does not show right. emotion he does not look real do you right do right you agree? yeah yeah i also was struck that he he's quite handsome though yeah and young he looks yeah. really young yeah no because you were, we're used to looking into the face and eyes of iroh and you're like mm-hmm. this is this this is his younger brother and it, it's it's yeah like i just found that very interesting but but wow that's i assumed that that this season was going to unlock ozai and we were going to see a lot more of him in like in human ways but he's yeah. going to continue to just sort of haunt this this uh yeah. this show perhaps yeah, and interesting. it's interesting, too, that, I mean, comparing him to Iroh, Iroh has seen and experienced so much. Like, he has fought, he has worked his way through <laughs> battles, and he is, like, weathered from it. This is somebody who looks young, who likely, I mean, like, when he... when He never left, seen, yeah. 
yes, when Zuko goes to see his dad, like he enters this room and it's like, cool, how long has Ozai just been sitting on this throne surrounded by fire? Like, does he just sit in there 24 seven? Like, <laughs> what is he doing? This is somebody who grew up in luxury and continues to live in luxury. Don't you think? Well, luxury, but also kind of a solitary prison of power. <laughs> I mean, because it doesn't look luxurious there. He, he's sitting, like you said, he's sitting alone all day in this throne room. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe not luxury, but at least privilege. Oh, like, 100%. Yeah, doesn't have to work at all to be in the position that he is in. He let his brother lose his only son yep. uh, and yet still his brother didn't earn his rightful position. This is something he's, he has not like gained a wrinkle on his face over hard work. Yeah. Yeah. And he's the architect of that happening to his brother, we presume, or some, some version of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and so again, we're not here to litigate the movie, but it, it is interesting to hear that this is the one time we see the face because one of my big takeaways from the, uh, from the movie was way too much Ozai. So it's interesting. It's interesting that, that they went in such an opposite direction. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Huh. Again, I'm not here to litigate that, but it, that it, it's, it's, it's fascinating to know that's the only shot we're going to get like that. Huh. Mm-hmm. So we from there we cut back to the ship and Katara runs out onto the deck because she's just discovered that Aang is gone and she finds Hakoda and Bado. And Bado, as a the good guy that he is, excuses himself to realize like, oh, this is like a moment that I shouldn't I shouldn't be in the way of. Um Bado has some social graces. He knows, like Yes. Yeah, I should just um, I should go. As I was watching it, I will say I said Bado more like Hado. <laughs> <laughs> I'm into Bato, I gotta say. Clearly anyway. I'm into clearly I'm into Ozai, so you know <laughs> to each his own. <laughs> so anyhow, now this touching father-daughter scene, uh Hakoda asks Katara what's wrong, and she explains that Aang has left. She says he just took his glider and disappeared. He has this ridiculous notion that he has to save the world alone, that it's all his responsibility. And Hakoda says, maybe that's his way of being brave. Katara says, it's not brave. It's selfish and stupid. We could be helping him. And I know the world needs him, but doesn't he know how much that we need him too? How could he have, how could he leave us behind? And Hakoda says, you're not talking, or you're talking about me too, aren't you? And Katara it's like she has this moment of revelation about what she's talking about as well. She says, how could you leave us, dad? I mean, I know we had grand grand and she loved us, but we were just so lost without you. And he apologizes and they embrace. And Katara says, I understand why you left. I really do. And I know that you had to go. So why do I still feel this way? I was so sad and angry and hurt. And Katota says, or Hakoda says, I love you more than anything. You and your brother are my, my entire world. I thought about you every day I was gone. And every night when I went to sleep, I would lie awake missing you so much it would ache. It's interesting how much this, I would love to know like the uh, psychology background of the people who wrote and conceived of this show. Cause this is really, you talked uh, in season two about like how much they talked about processing grief in some real ways. And like, this is very interesting in terms of, I mean, Hakoda's insight into what Katara was doing, but the writers having to create that this moment where she's having this reaction to him. 
so as to create this moment where where we realize, well, this is Katara's realizing a pattern in her life of like these people that are important to her. Uh, and she's feeling abandoned by them. This is the second time feeling abandoned by, by someone. Yep. 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 In my ro- notes, I wrote abandonment too, for sure. And uh, it's interesting because I didn't know that I would I'd like watching this episode. I didn't see it going this way. I didn't see it. I, I saw the struggles that they were having at the start, but I didn't know that it, there would be some resolution right away in this episode between the two of them. Um, but then it, it's almost, it's just, I feel like they're using it even more so just to, to show the family relationships in the fire nation. Right. Cause we're going to get this, we're going to get at this pairing here. I also am glad that it did get dealt with. I don't, I didn't want, I don't want to say resolved, but it got addressed, let's say, because I just want Katara to be Katara as well. And like, I don't want to see, I don't want five episodes of her hampered by, these abandonment issues that she's that aren't being addressed because like, I want her to go be great, you know? And like, um, so although things like this aren't solved by a single conversation, (laughs) it's, I'm still glad because it's like, I, I I want, I want other things for her, (laughs) you know? It's also super interesting because we just came back from an episode where there is a lot of healing between Sokka and Hakoda Mm-hmm. And it happens in a single episode, and here it feels like, oh no, this is a journey between the two of these. Like, this isn't the only time they will likely have this conversation. Well, uh, and for whatever reason, they like it needs to be trust that's rebuilt, right? And and what's interesting too is they denied us in in probably a good way of when Katara and Hakoda connected again for the first time because they've been on this ship for weeks now. Yep. Right. So, so like we're seeing, we didn't see the like initial potentially honeymoon stage of like, we're all back together again. And then it's like, after a few weeks, these things are now starting to bubble up. Like, wait a minute. <laughs> Why did you do this? You know? Yep. Yep. So again, I, I, I feel like there, I don't, I don't know a lot about psychology, but I feel like there is um, really some, some intricate uh, psychological work going on to create, the things these characters are responding to and relating to. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So uh, again, we, like I said, we have these pairings of father child interactions. So we have Hakoda and Katara. And from there we go right back to the throne room with Ozai and um, Ozai and Zuko. So Ozai says, I'm proud of you, Prince Zuko. I am proud because you and your sister conquered bossing say, I am proud because when your loyalty was tested, by your treacherous uncle, you did the right thing and captured the traitor. I am proudest of all of your most legendary accomplishment. You slayed the avatar. And Zuko looks surprised to hear this. And he says, what did you hear? And Ozai says, Azula told me everything. She said she was amazed and impressed with your power and ferocity in the moment of truth. And here again, we see this look of Zuko kind of unsure with what to do with this. In the same way, he was unsure with the adulation from the crowds. Yes. This scene is great because the whole time you're thinking, I mean, like the first thing that they're talking about, the, the kind of the main thing is how is Azula messing over? <laughs> how is she messing up Zuko's life right now? <laughs> like, how does she have a hand in all of this? But then when you think about kind of the more subtle storytelling here, it's like, 
ooh, you come from a father who is willing to admit his mistakes and to humble himself in front of his daughter to a father who says, you have proven yourself to me. I am proud of you because you did these things that I wanted you to do. Right, right. I mean, even just the the, the need for the word because and not just yeah. I am proud of you, but it's like I had banished you, but now you've proven yourself. Yeah, I mean, oh. yeah, you're, you're so... And you're right. It's working on two levels. And it reminds me of, of something we had uh, when we talked with Jasmine Griffin about Zuko alone. It's like you can get so caught up in plotting that you can miss these other moments. And like, I actually, yeah, I think, um, I think this one was helpful to watch multiple times to, because, because the first time I think I was struck with the, Oh, Azula's up to something. But the second time I already knew that. So instead I was thinking about like, huh, there is this other thing going on here. Um, and that actually, and isn't that something that has been earned and something that's been seeded this whole time that, that this is what this relationship looks like, even though we've never really had seen them have much of a conversation, even in flashback that mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm, for sure. So from here, we cut back to um, Ang flying over the sea and he sees a blockade of fire nation ships. Uh, and he, so he takes it. This is a pretty cool Ang moment. I, he's, he does some things I didn't know he could do. He takes this like huge airbender deep breath and kind of torpedoes himself under the water uh, to shoot under the blockade. And he comes out of the water and he seems exhausted. And he grabs a piece of driftwood and turns it into kind of a windsurfer with his glider. Uh, and he sails for a while, but then eventually crashes into the water. So we're seeing Ang like, he's really physically worn even when he was flying, like it was hard for him to keep above the waves. And so he's, he's exerting everything he can and doing some amazing things, but also it's not the usual Aang who seems like to have limitless energy. It's like, this is damaged Aang. It's yeah. It seems like an animal that's injured. That's trying to run away. And like, it's doing whatever it can to just run away. You know what I mean? Just Mm -hmm. get to safety. So from here, we cut back to the palace and we see Zuko enter Azula's room while she's sleeping. So this is the scene we had talked about earlier. Uh, And Zuko says, why did you tell father that I was the one who killed the avatar? Azula says, you seem so worried about how father would treat you because you hadn't captured the avatar. I'd figured if I gave, I figure I give you the credit, you'd have nothing to worry about. Call it a generous gesture. I wanted to thank you for your help. And I was happy to share the glory. And Zuko doesn't believe her and suspects she has another motive. Azula says, please, Zuko, what ulterior motive could I have? What could I possibly gain by letting you get all the glory for defeating the Avatar? And then she turns. (laughs) And she says, unless somehow the Avatar was actually alive, all that glory would suddenly turn to shame and foolishness. But you said yourself that was impossible. Sleep well, Zuzu. She's so evil. But she's also one of the best characters. Yeah. Like, I remember, I remember when she was first introduced, uh, I was like, oh, I don't know that I'm going to like her, but like, she is, I I am, uh, she is magnetic. Like whenever Mm -hmm. she's on the screen, it's like, oh, this is, I don't know that she's ever been in a bad scene, you know? (laughs) And she's, and she is, she, again, we talked about displays of power, right? This is, this is maybe the biggest display of power that she is 
manipulating not just Zuko. She's manipulating her father. She's manipulating history. She's manipulating all of these things. Um, because whether she suspects or that the avatar is still alive or she's just hedging, she realizes I lose nothing by sharing the glory. And I now have this thing over Zuko and I can keep bringing it up, which she does to sort of be like what he clearly knows something I don't. So I'm going to put him into this position. I mean, it's, it's one of the great power plays. Now this almost points to, we talk about this as a kid show and it's like, what are, what are they doing as a kid show doing this? Like my fear is that this is teaching kids how to be like extremely manipulative and Machiavellian. <laughs> like, like, like I don't want kids to learn from Azula, <laughs> but like, but they're getting a master class on it. Right. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, she's pretty great at this. Yes. Yeah. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Um, and the fact that she can, and you mentioned manipulate her brother and her father. Her father is the fire lord. Like she's manipulating the fire lord. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's wow. Yeah, masterclass is like an understatement. <laughs> well, and 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 we have reason to believe that she was involved in whatever led to the death of her mother, the death of her grandfather, and the rise of her father to be the fire lord. Yes, and she was like seven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so you know it, it, it's one of the things that that i also sort of thought about upon watches again last night is that it's often talked about like with with like marvel movies and those stories that the problem marvel has is like a villain problem like they just don't have good villains yeah um and that's what makes like the original star wars trilogy so good is like vader's like a great villain it's what makes no country for old men great anton Chigurh mm-hmm. is a great villain the mm-hmm. joker is a great villain I honestly put Azula in that class. Like, like it's, she's great. Like, like yeah. it's, um, yeah. I mean, it reminds, I'm thinking of like the great story villains from movie and TVs, Gus Freen and breaking bad. Like she's that, she's at that level to me. Like every time she does something, I'm like, Oh man, I didn't see that. I didn't see that possibility coming and look at how well you've played and plotted all of this out. And you know what? It's a stupid thing for me to notice this, but I truly do really love that they started this whole episode with her shadow going over the turtle ducks and the turtle ducks run away in fear. I just feel like that shows mm-hmm. her level of insanity. Like just this person who is like evil to the core and has been since her first days on earth like yes that even the nature around her does not want to be in her presence because they they remember like even nature remembers how terrible she is it's so well, good it's so good it also tells us that the 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 among the best animals on this show also have great <laughs> f- fight or flight reflexes and know like yep we're out we're we yeah. want nothing to do with this <laughs> Thanks for the bread, Zuko, but <laughs> that's yeah, right. <laughs> we gotta go. Uh, so we go back to sea and we see Aang floating uh, with with on on the piece of driftwood while the storm rages. And it's interesting because we've seen Aang in the water in storms before. This is a, a reoccurring motif throughout this, right? Uh, and Aang says to himself, I'm not gonna make it. I've failed. Interesting moment. I mean, this is him at sea alone adrift giving up Mm. that's like that's a card you can't play all that often storytelling wise so it's really interesting to see that come here and at this point 
we get uh, the spirit of Roku appear to Aang above the waves. And Roku says, you haven't failed Aang. And Aang says, but everyone thinks I'm dead. They think I've, I've abandoned them and I'm losing this, this war. I'm letting the whole world down. And Roku says, if anyone is to blame for the state of the world, it's me. I should have seen the war coming and prevented it. You inherited my problems and mistakes, but I believed you are destined to redeem me and to save the world. And Aang says, I don't know. I loved this moment from Roku because it's one of the questions that I have is like Roku seems great, but Roku is also like the avatar during the rise of Sozin, presumably. Mm-hmm. and the beginnings of this war. And it's interesting to see him think about, to see him expressing kind of regret and like, yeah. I should have known I, that, that, that this story begins not with the failure of Aang when he goes into the iceberg, but it maybe goes back to the failure of, of Aang's, I'm putting this in quotes, father, because Roku's not Aang's father. Roku is Aang, yes. but this is another father-son moment, right? Yes, Sam, I was going to say, maybe I'm reaching, but Roku is dad. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, this episode is dads that struggled and failed and how they deal with their children and the responsibilities that they put on their children's shoulders, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean that you know, and I and because it is weird because like Aang is actually talking to himself, but right. he's not. He's not. He. I mean, like it. So I, I had the exact same thought. I mean that this is this is that sort of father son moment, and it's really cool to see Roku like kind of address that all of the things that I mean. It's it's like he's saying all the things that you're dealing with are actually my mistake, right? It is sort of the sort of sins of the father moment, and like the next generation inheriting those things um, and and needing to to wrestle with those things. So Aang says, I don't know. I don't know if I'm capable of like saving you, saving the world and redeeming you. And then to just gild the Lily a little bit, uh, the moon shines down on him and we have Yue's spirit appear in the sky and talk to (laughs) Aang. This was totally unexpected for me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And, and, and uh, she says, you already saved the world. And you'll save the world again, but you can't give up. Ang says, you're right. I won't give up. And he starts to bend the water around him um, along with UA and then, and starts to surf on the driftwood. Now, what were your thoughts with UA appearing here? Cause it, like, I, I don't want to question it, but like, is it necessary? Like, could Roku not have said that? Did we need UA to say that? Right. Or is this like a, Yeah. I don't know, because the last time we saw Yue was, I think, when she went up into the moon, right? Like, we haven't mm-hmm. seen her up Correct. here, even as, some like, a ghostly figure like this before. So, I don't know if this was meant to be some kind of, like, closure to her character to be, like, she continues on. She still is herself. She can still give this advice. She can still interact with the people that she cares about, Um even though See, I would say it was the opposite of closure. It would be oh. it would be opening her back up to be like, well, okay, this is yet another presence. Because like, I feel like her going up into the moon was closure. It was like complete closure to her story. This is reintroducing her almost. Yeah. See, for me, yes, I could see that. Like, 
it seemed like um, her going into the moon was she died, right? And now it's like, oh, uh, so her spirit still lives, like her soul is still in motion and able to communicate with people on earth. Yeah, I could see how that would be that way. I honestly, I didn't have any complex thoughts beyond, oh, this reminds me of that one scene from Star Wars where all of the like dead people come back and visit. Yeah. Luke. <laughs> it's kind of for, force ghosty in that way. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. That's the term. Yeah. Yes. That's all well, it reminded me of. <laughs> it is also interesting that she that that she's the one who says you've already saved the world and there's mm-hmm. multiple meanings to that i mean she is saying at the north pole you saved the world right mm-hmm. but she's also i think it's almost like now i'm making the case for ua being there it's almost like she's saying to ang and kind of to roku you've already saved the world like you saved the world how many times has the avatar saved the world, uh, you know, and, and you'll only, do it because she says you've done it and you'll do it again. Yes. And only the spirit of a celestial being like the moon that has seen everything happen, everything mm-hmm. unfold uh, in the universe or at least on earth would be able to, to say that with full confidence. Ooh, I right. like that a lot. Right. Cause like it, it does feel like an echo of when Roku says, Ang says to, Wow, no, Roku says it, I think he says it to Zhang Zhang when he says, I've done it before and I'll do it again about like learning yes. to master the master fire and these things, right? So, so it's almost like, like, like she's using his words because the fact of the matter is Roku needs to be comforted at this moment too. Yes, right? but even, even the spirit of past avatars are finite. Like even they don't have full knowledge or understanding Mm-hmm. of the whole scope of everything that's super interesting i really like that sam i'm now on board with ua being there at first i was like yes. i don't know is it necessary are we just adding another image here but i i i love the idea of a conversation between the spirits in this way also is this not another power play by a woman to be like oh okay, you're right these two are trying to make sense of things let me just come in with my infinite moon yeah and be like, hey, it's everyone. like it, can we call this moon splaining maybe <laughs> she's like okay let me talk you down oh my god i love that yeah yeah sorry do you, do you want to edit your thoughts on this episode what it's really about <laughs> Oh my gosh, man. I don't even, this is amazing. I love the way that we've seen this episode unfold. <laughs> All right. So, so to wrap up, we cut to Aang and he's passed out, washed up on the shore um, of what appears to be an active volcanic island. Um, and from here, then we cut to morning and Aang is still lying on the shore. And suddenly you see Momo jump up on his chest and start licking him awake. Katara, Sokka, and Toph rush up to him. We see that they have flown to him uh, on Appa. They have a big group hug together, and even Appa's part of it. And Appa doesn't always get in on that stuff, but even Appa is. Uh, and Aang says, uh, I have so much to do. And Katara says, I know, but you'll have our help. And Toph says, you didn't think you'd get out of training just by coming to the Fire Nation, did you? Which is a nice reminder that Aang still is still training. Right, that 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 both in terms of fire, but in terms of these other things as well. Um, and uh, Ang says, "What about the invasion?" And Sokka says, "We'll join up with Dad and the other uh, invasion forces on the day of the eclipse." And then something washes up on the shore behind Toph, and she pulls up this piece of wood out of the surf, and it's Ang's 
glider, but it's clearly broken at this point. Uh, and Aang says, that's okay. If someone saw it, it would give up. It would give away my identity. It's better for now that no one knows I'm alive. And we see Aang fly up to the volcano and he plants the staff in the ground. And it's kind of like the wings are sort of out, but broken. And it very much looks like a, like a bonsai tree, almost kind of like off, you know, like non-symmetrical. Um, and he plants it in the ground. And then as, and then he, as he goes down, we see it like start to spark and then sort of inflame and burn up. Yep. And that's our closing shot. So thoughts on this episode, thoughts, okay. observations, questions. Yeah. I do like how it ends with that image of the glider burning with Aang's hair covering his arrow tattoo. Like everything that he was so proud to hold on to, everything in his past that he like clung to really in season one and season two. Uh, now he can no longer like hold on to has his identity uh, because the world is at stake. So um, I think that's a really nice tone. It's like a really cool start to season three to be like everything that we knew about Aang, he has to deny himself. Mm -hmm. um, so no longer does Aang have any comforts really uh, because we knew like this joyful, happy-go-lucky Aang that is um, an air nomad and uh, doesn't have any ties to the earth and like is able to, um, kind of transcend everything like a monk would. And now we have Aang who is carrying burdens, who has like a physical display of his failure on his back in the form of a scar. And like, this is now bringing him to this last season. Mm -hmm. It's almost like we see him growing up. Mm -hmm. Like we talked mm -hmm. about earlier, right? Like, like this is another version of that. It's like, okay, we're, we're going to, you, we're going to see these physical changes, but we're also going to see these, um, widening identity changes as well. Yeah. Um, yep. One of the things that I was interested in is that we are already in the fire nation. Yes. One episode in we're there. <laughs> and, and um, which leads me to think about like, how are they going to pass time in the fire nation? Like what, what are they going to do as they're awaiting this invasion? Um, how much time is there until the eclipse? I wish we had a ticking clock for this a little bit. Like, I don't know. Do they have like a month they got to kill? Do they, you know? Yes. And, and if Aang is pretending to not exist, how important is it for Aang during this time uh, waiting for the solar eclipse for him to develop the skills of a firebender? You know what I mean? Like if he's not even able to really showcase that power and ability, I, I don't know. Like, but he—he's in the—he's yeah, he's in the one place where he could do that and not be conspicuous, right? And in which case, it's like, okay, who's going to be his his uh, master then? That's a really All good right. question. So, who are our candidates? I mean, there's two. <laughs> uh, Iroh. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there's. <laughs> oh, there's there's three because there's also Zhang 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 because because sure, sure, sure. again, if we're collecting allies, he's on our kind of allies list. So I don't oh. think it will be him, but like, but if I'm, if I'm making a, a short list of who they could be, yes, yes. I ha it hadn't occurred to me to think of Zuko. But that's fascinating. If that were the case, Man, truly, I was just throwing out fire nation folks. Right. I, but, but mentioning Iroh, that's another important question of like, where is Iroh? Right. I have that written what? down. <laughs> What's happening to him? He was turned over. How yes. How's he doing? I presume he's still metaphorically encased in carbonite. 
I, there's going to be there. I think there's going to be an Iroh rescue mission at some point, and I can, I'm I in for so. it. I hope it's like a heist movie. Is what I really hope. Because <laughs> I I would be. Would you not be in for a, a heist movie episode of I, Saving Iroh? I love a good heist movie, and also Avatar plays with genres, and I feel yeah. like that would be perfect for them. Yeah, like like Ocean's Eleven, but it but they're <laughs> rescuing Iroh. Like I would I would I would be a thousand percent in on that. Yes, please. Uh, so I'm just, I'm really curious where they're going to go from here. I mean, they we have we have 19 episodes left. They're already where this story seems like it's headed in terms of physically or geographically. So where do they go? What do they see? Do they stay in the Fire Nation? Do they go back? I'm really interested about the allies part. Like who yes. are what are the allies that they're going to collect? Are we going to cut between our gang their story, Zuko Azula story, and Hakoda and Bato collecting allies. Are we going to get any of that, or are those allies just going to show up at the end? I'm curious about that. Or are we going to see our gang have to go back and be part of collecting allies? Interesting thing, too, to be like, which allies are sticking around? Because uh, when I watched this episode, I was like, oh, they could have so easily written Toph off as well. Mm-hmm. But they didn't, and I'm so glad they didn't because I every single episode I more and more fall in love with Toph. I just really like her character, and so it's nice to know that she is like seems to be a permanent fixture well, in the uh, series. I think part of it is because you you have to have an Earthbender yes. as part of the story too. Like you, True. it would be strange if we just got rid of that whole that whole world. So I I, I made a non exhaustive list of allies I'm curious Ooh. about in season three. Yes, um, please share. So I put Zhang Zhang. I'm curious mm-hmm. to see, are we done with him? Are we going to come back? Uh, one of my favorites, Haru. I really want Haru to be part of this. I'm I'm probably the uh, lone person on Haru Katara shipping island, <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm here for that. It's not going to happen, but I, I like that. Um, Teo and his dad. Mm-hmm. Curious about that. Um, Boomy. Yeah, Boomy is an. I mean, he's Boomy's obviously coming back, right? Too important of he a better figure. Better be. Yeah, I need that guy. Um, sneers. <laughs> you got to put him on there because <laughs> just you know we need to we need to be aware of him. We have Smellerby and Longshot. We know that they're they last last seen in Bossing Say. I put Jet with a question mark because he might be dead. Don't know. Don't know if we're going <laughs> to see him again. Um, the Swamp People. Oh, good call. I didn't you know, know about them. Yeah. And then there are people like the fortune teller. I don't know. Like I could see us going back to that village. Doesn't seem like a character that would be like an ally in yes. the battle. Um, but or, can you think of yeah. other people? I mean, Paku I in the s- South, maybe. I was going to say song, but she only met Zuko, right? Yeah. 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 So I don't, hmm. I can't think of it other than the, the nomads, the, the singing nomads. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 But I don't know that they would be like up for conflict. <laughs> it doesn't seem like their it doesn't seem like their vibe. Uh, no. Baby hope somehow being part of this. <laughs> um, so, so my other question with that is, do we see them in, do we have episodes or even if they wanted to be really, really experimental, like an episode where we don't have Zuko or Aang or any of them, and it's just Bato and Hakoda collecting allies, oh, or or yeah. or do we get like a big ally montage where they're like we see them maybe like 
walking on sunshine is playing and they're like going to different places and in, in collecting allies walking on sunshine is the best choice <laughs> yes i want it <laughs> or okay also the the lotus the white lotus oh well i can't believe i didn't think of that yeah like when is that coming back is it coming it better it's got because to we never really had like answers to that yeah oh, i, I like, can't believe oh, i forgot about that yes yes That's... they were like oh we'll usher you into the bossing say and then they disappeared yeah, because they, they wouldn't have created all of that just for that one thing. No. And, yeah. They, they could have well, found a way to get Zuko and Iroh into Bossing Say without that. So I wonder, right. even thinking about like a rescue mission or like a, a heist episode for Iroh, like probably White Lotus would be involved. Lotus know. 11, I would watch that. Oh, me too. <laughs> yes. Uh, me too. So, so actually, I had Iroh on the ally list of like, okay, so like, I presume that's coming. Another character, which I don't know how she fits in, because um, I think she's probably, you know, she is Fire Nation, but I'm curious, do we see June again? Ooh, I didn't think about her. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sure. Another thing, are we going to get to revisit the spirit world at all in this season? Because they don't have as much travel, so they may have the ability for for a big spirit world episode, which would be interesting. I hope so, because it seemed like every season, like first and second season, we had a two-parter that dealt with the spirit world, and I really liked those. So, I so probably them. like middle of season three, we go spirit yeah, world. I'm yeah, I'm holding on. Also, okay. the Kyoshi Warriors, where are they? Oh, what happened I, to them? Annie, I should be punished for not putting Suki <laughs> on here, my favorite character, and I didn't, I didn't Look, put her on there. it was just so obvious it for you yeah. that you just didn't think to write her down yeah right? yeah no you're absolutely right though that's that's they're definitely because here's the thing if they don't come back then they're dead and oh. like that would be real dark to, to have them dead and not even address it other than we saw somebody walk out with their clothes oh, so that's so messed right up. Yeah. like that so so they have to come back just just on principle i think also, um, I'm, excuse me, Sokka doesn't need to lose another woman that he loves, right? That's true. That's true. Yeah. That is too much. That's too much for that boy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, other questions I had, uh, what happens with Zuko now? What is his arc at this point? Um, mm. Really fascinated with that. Um, we talked a little bit about sort of what is the Fire Nation's plan at this point? How will they prepare for the day of Black Sun? Because they know about it. Because Azula knows about it. Because the Earth King spilled all the beans on that. So they know when this invasion's coming. How do they prepare? Because what's interesting is they have firebending power, but they also just have technology. Yep. Because what we saw in the North Pole was that with the the like coming with the the blackening out of the moon. Um they were left powerless because they rely on water bending alone. The fire nation appears to rely on fire bending, but also technology and industry. So can they make it through a day relying on technology and industry? That'll be interesting. Yeah. So how are they preparing for that in season three too? like what episode, how far do we get in this season when the, the day of black sun happens? True. True. Um, I also put in my notes just a question about the Dai Li. Like, what happens to Ba Sing Se in the Earth Kingdom now? Because there's one level where I think about Aang's comment. It's like, the Earth Kingdom has fallen forever. It's like, well, Ba Sing Se fell. But, like, there's all these people. It's such a huge place. And there's all these people throughout it. Um, 
So what's happening on the continent there? I'm really curious about like how easily, how easy is it for the fire nation to like establish their power and authority there uh, in its entirety? Uh, Yeah. And then I think those are the big questions that I have. It's like I said, I think this episode was about steering the ship in a particular direction and now we're ready to launch off. We have our heroes with their feet on the ground in the fire nation. And that's, uh, that's pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. Any, any last thoughts on this episode, man? I'm just, I'm honestly kind of sad. Like I'm sad that we're in season three. I just want this to keep going forever and ever and not, <laughs> but <laughs> think of how much we have left. We have 19 episodes left. So it's not like, that's true. you know, we, we still have a third of the, of a third of the run of the show in front of that's us. That's many hours of note taking. So yes. <laughs> I guess we're okay. Yes. So, so our, and this is this is not spoiling, but are you a season two or a season three person in terms of what you think the best season is? Because I've heard both from people. Man, I think season three, the second half of season three is just so good. And not to say that season, or sorry, season two, not to say that season three isn't also phenomenal, but like there are some episodes in season two that, you know, anything mm-hmm. that's about animal activism, I'm like all sure. on board for. So the whole Appa and his lost days, that arc is amazing. The like dystopia of Bossing Say was incredible. Um, but there's some real good stuff to come in season three. Like I know a lot of people who do say season three is their favorite. Yeah, so. that I feel like that's that's the general consensus that I hear. But I've also uh, and maybe it's just I talk with you a lot. I've also heard people say like season two is actually the show's apex. So, mm-hmm. uh, which would make sense because it is the show's ultimately it's the show's Empire Strikes Back, and uh, mm-hmm. those are the the second in a trilogy is often the best. So if we're thinking about this as a trilogy, like yep. you know the the thing that season three has to do is stick the landing. Season two doesn't have to stick the landing because it's not the end. Um, so I was, I, this is the only, maybe we can, we can go out on this. Like, that's my big question is like, will the show stick the landing? Now what's funny because like the answer to that question is already out there. I just don't know <laughs> it. You know, like I'm guessing a lot of people listening to this have seen the whole run of the show. So remember you're out ahead of me. I don't know where, I don't know where this is heading. Will it stick the landing? I I have confidence Mm -hmm. that it will, but yeah. That's one thing where I feel like I know, I know what happens at the end and it's, I it's, it's taking everything in me not to just tell you. So I'm really looking forward to watching everything happen. All right. Well, Annie, that is all the time we have. This is another epically long episode. I have a feeling this is what (laughs) season three is going to feel like. Um, We, are going to try to drop episodes every week this summer. Um, and this will stretch into the early fall as we, uh, as we move our way through, um, as we move our way through season three to the, uh, the, the climax and cul- and culmination of this, uh, of this show. Uh, it has been so much fun to talk with you about this. If you want to get a hold of the show, you can email us at channel 3900 at gmail.com. If you want to find old episodes, you can go to avatarwithacademics.wordpress.com. That's our website. You can interact with us there, but please email us. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, fans of the show, we're getting, there's more and more you can talk about now because there's less and less you can spoil because we've seen two thirds of the show uh, at this point. Uh, but that is all the time we have. We will be back next week for book We will be back next week for Book 3 Fire, Chapter 2. The Headband. Headband.